1: Den Talks podcast is powered by denanywhere.com, your one stop shop for self growth. Go there for workshops, classes, live classes, on demand classes, certifications, retreats, whatever it is you are looking for, we have it. Come join us. And now for only $49.99. A month, you have unlimited access to all classes live and the entire on-demand schedule. So you can make it work for you. So if you were looking for a chance to deepen your practice, show up every day, or even just a couple times a week, this is the membership for you. We cannot wait to see you in class. Go to denanywhere.com and sign up. <music> Welcome to Dentalk's podcast. Today, we have Ashley River Brandt on. Um, she wrote a book called Rituals, and it's amazing because she really breaks down the idea of why rituals is important. And here's the good news. You don't need anything to do the rituals. Nothing, nothing at all. That's her whole point. A ritual is about what you bring to it, what the intention is, what your space is, the love that you have and the belief. Those are her four pillars of ritual and we all can have those things. So it's not about just falling, you know, following along on the rituals that you have with religion or following along on the rituals your family has forced you to do, though some of them may really resonate with you and then that's great. It's about really getting to know yourself and as she says, which I love, it's finding your way back home. And ritual, which I find fascinating for, you know, those of us who are constantly trying to create and manifest, she was saying how ritual is really like the foundation that actually anchors you know, the manifestation, those desires, those thoughts, this is what actually puts it and lets it plant and grow. Um, So ritual is really super important. It's a really fun conversation because, again, you can connect to all these things every single day at all times. And it just makes you realize how much more spiritual you are, whether you want to believe it or not. So enjoy the episode um, and let us know what you think. How are you? Where are you?
2: I'm on the Mendocino coast, Northern
1: California. Pretty. Is that where you're from?
2: No, I'm actually from Florida um, and grew up between Florida, Louisiana, Texas. But my partner and I moved here in 2019.
1: Just in time for all the fires. I
2: know, just in time for all the fires and the pandemic. But I don't think I'd want to be anywhere else right now. So you yeah. love it. It's really beautiful. It's very isolating, but like I'm looking into an entire redwood forest right now oh. surrounding my space. and it's really special.
1: Well, that's interesting. And let's just roll right in. So you yeah. moved there during the pandemic. Um, and like you said, it's a little isolating, but it seems like for what you do, mm-hmm. you know, in a world of ritual, is that actually help you? Does it actually aid you to live a life like that?
2: Yes. I mean, I moved here and wrote my book in two weeks. There's wow. something about the land here that is really, really special and really helped me sink into really being a channel for for the earth and how the earth wanted to express through me in the book. Um, life. Definitely has slowed down since moving here. We lived in San Francisco before and then New York City before that. So this is obviously a very different lifestyle, pace. Um, but it's the land really calls you into that connection when you're surrounded by it in this way. When you're in a city, it's definitely harder to, to create that bond you know, just, it's hard to even feel the earth when you're surrounded by concrete and lights. And here we don't even see our neighbors. We have a Creek behind us that I do ritual at trees all around that I do ritual at the river down the street, the ocean a mile away. So I'm really connected to the elements
1: to you, did you move there? Like, what was the purpose for you? What was the choice?
2: So the purpose actually was my partner is a woodworker and there's a really big woodworking community up here. And then he got into this school that's up here. Um, so we kind of moved up here with the intention of we'd only be here a year while he was going to the school. And then the pandemic happened and we've been here for, uh, years and not mad about it.
1: Was it more the pandemic happened so it slowed his school down or is it more like the pandemic happened why are we moving back to a city now if we're going to be stuck inside? Exactly.
2: Yeah well the school was canceled so <laughs> like every other school um, and we right before the pandemic happened we were thinking of moving we were kind of Trying to figure out what land was calling to us, where we'd want to live. And then the pandemic happened, and immediately we were like, now is not the time to leave. And we felt really strongly that we needed to root here. And this definitely isn't our forever home, but there's a really big purpose, I feel, in us being here and and being with the Redwoods in particular. Um, But I think in the next year or two, we'll probably move just to be more connected to community and people. I mean, we live in such an isolated, quiet community. Um, and so I think with both of our work
1: expanding, it's getting time to kind of come back to. What the- were you like before you move? Like, were you guys, did you go out a lot? Did you hang out with, like, what was the rhythm like?
2: Not so much. When we lived in San Francisco, we had a beautiful garden and we tended to that land just as we tend to this land. It was obviously just a lot smaller, just a little quiet <laughs> garden next to the highway. Um, but we didn't really have, we weren't going out so much. We were going on a lot of hikes. We were spending time with our friends, but we both were working and in completely different environments I was I had an intuitive tattoo practice and I was working out of a space in San Francisco that was a like holistic beauty did you say
1: an intuitive tattoo business yeah what does that mean like people come to you and they don't know what they want and you just help decide
2: uh sort of (sighs) um I started this practice um after a few years of tattooing as a sort of side project or side medium of expression. And then I just got a really clear download one day that I needed to make this my, my, my business, my sole way of um, offering my services. And it came through me as a name, Soul Tattoos. And I, created this modality. So when a client comes and sees me, I'm no longer practicing, but when a client would come to see me, we would sit and have a meditation and I would read their energy and their aura and connect them to the natural elemental spirits that were calling for them in relation to their intention, whatever they're wanting to transform through. Um, and we design the tattoo on the spot. And we tune into where it wants to go on the body, which is a really important aspect. Um, And then I tattoo by hand. And these tattoos really became a portal for transformation. It was really powerful transformative work, but it wasn't sustainable for me. And as an artist, I am always changing, evolving. There's different ways that I wanna express myself. So I had to kind of close that book a little, but I did uh, connect with another intuitive tattoo artist. And in 2018, we launched our course called Sacred Tattooing. So we're now teaching this work to other people.
1: So like, is that how, when you got tattoos for yourself, is that always the process of kind of how you did it?
2: Um, no, this practice is really born from not having that and me feeling a, such a strong connection to the feminine sacred origins of tattoo art, but not seeing it being done that way mm-hmm. um, in the States, especially. And so I created the practice because I really felt so connected to tattooing as transformation and as healing And so wanting to offer that for myself. And so I was tattooing myself for a year or two before I even tattooed another person.
1: So what tattoo on you has helped you through the most transformation?
2: I want to say it's the one, I still tattoo myself, even though I'm not practicing. And the most recent one has been probably the most powerful. And there's a really long story that and, and how the the tattoo came through for me um, but i'll condense it a little bit so right before actually like right as the pandemic was happening last march i became pregnant and i was tuning in really deeply to the energetics of creation as a woman and the energetics of fertility. And I kept having all of these messages and and, in meditation and dreams come through that the most fertile energetic, the thing that makes us most uh, really anchored into our creative energy is joy. Mm. And so I was having hummingbirds come to me every single day i would walk out on my front porch and there would be like 16 hummingbirds which is wild because usually they're kind of territorial and there will be like one maybe two but there was an abundance of hummingbirds and then i kept receiving messages from the squash blossom flower and so i designed this tattoo at the time that i was pregnant and then I miscarried and went through sort of the underworld of sorry. creation. Thank you. And so I didn't actually tattoo that tattoo on myself until November. Mm. And I, I always would tell my clients, um, so after I wasn't seeing one-on-one clients anymore, I would do like sort of virtual sessions where I design a tattoo for people. And I'd always tell them like, wait a while before getting it on your skin so you can really integrate the medicine that it's bringing to you. And that had been probably the longest time that I waited from like full design download to actually inking it on my skin. And it was really powerful because I went through this full cycle of creation and really understanding what fertility is. Um, and so I put it on my heart, which was so hard to tattoo by myself. Um, I was like in a mirror, it took me days to do, um, but it, it transformed me. It really showed me the importance of joy, especially at a time where I was grieving, the world was grieving, you know, the pandemic, it's, it's been so intense and helped me tune into pleasure which is something that is we're so disconnected from as a society
1: um what did you learn fertility actually was
2: fertility is joy and it is pleasure when we are in when we are embodying pleasure and we are prioritizing pleasure we are fertile it's like juicy life force that comes into us when we are really pursuing joy and really prioritizing that
1: it's so true and you can feel it in your body like yeah. you, you can feel it's so like you feel like you can do anything like you can create anything so that's so true mm-hmm. and I love that the hummingbirds were coming it's like a great nectar of life yeah so that's such a beautiful archetype that was there mm-hmm. how nice I love that yeah um, it was special Have you ever designed a tattoo and then not inked it for yourself?
2: Uh, No. For me, it's really like a once a year thing. So it's very intentional and I trust what comes through and I trust my body to tell me when it's time to place it on my skin.
1: What was your first tattoo?
2: My first tattoo ever I was 16 Mm -hmm. which is I would say too young to get a tattoo. Mm -hmm. I was 16 and it's just my zodiac sign on my wrist (laughs) I passed out it was done so poorly it looked awful I had to like go back and get it redone by someone else and it was just an awful experience Um, but it's sort of all of my tattoo experiences were pretty awful and catapulted me too
1: were they really all awful that's interesting I mean it's, it's yeah. like they were meant to be I guess so that you would do yeah. this
2: I know I don't I thought I assumed maybe all women have experiences like this but I had just so many disempowering experiences of male I mean the tattoo industry is such a masculine kind of intense industry and I would just have Male tattoo artists like claiming to know my body better than me, or claiming to know my vision better than me, or my intuition, and I know to that, you know. So i I started tattooing myself when I was probably twenty two.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that's a talent in of itself. It's hard to tattoo yourself.
2: It is really hard. Well. (laughs) The way that I tattoo, I don't know, it came to me so intuitively and, and easily. Like I knew I had done it before. It was kind of one of those connections where it just flowed so easily for me.
1: So I want to talk about something I feel like people do not take enough advantage of, our certifications. A lot of people don't realize we have as many certifications as we do. Here's a beauty. You can now do it no matter where you live in the world or what your time zone is. There is something For you, And again, certifications are a brilliant way if you're looking to change your career, if you're interested in something and just want to know more, or frankly, if you kind of are craving to go on a deeper journey with yourself. Certifications are a brilliant way to do that. And we cover everything from Reiki's all the way up to master level, intuitive healing trainings, if you're really looking to hone that psychic ability or become an energetic healer, um, teacher training, which is an intense, incredible program for self-exploration, or if you want to become A teacher, animal communications, breath work, the list goes on. And we're always adding new courses and ways to expand what you know and what you want to learn. So go to denanywhere.com, check out certifications and courses, and join us. So talk about, I mean, and you brought it up through tattooing, where you said it's such a feminine, sacred act and like ritual. Talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about that, like going back to the days when it was used as Ritual and a Feminine?
2: Yeah, it's one of my favorite things to talk about in our course, how tattooing was a sacred feminine art. And my favorite origin story of tattoo art is in ancient Egypt, which was a very sort of matriarchal society as we know, but the female priestesses or seers, the ones who were bridges and connected to the spirit world were the uh, givers of the tattoos. And the receivers of tattoos were only women. It was just an art for women, which I think is so magical and obviously very different than how it is today. Um, And the receivers of tattoos were women going through just a uh, time of creation. So it was used for birth, childbirth, um, sex work, menstrual cramps or any sort of, uh, hormonal imbalances in the body. Um, and they were really used just for protection and, uh, to sort of heal anything that has to do with the womb. It was very much a womb art.
1: Was it on the womb or could would it be could it be anywhere
2: yeah most of the tattoos were actually on the womb or on the inner thighs or like around the hips thighs area <laughs> that seems like it would really hurt I know <laughs> 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 you can find pictures online too and um they're they talk about it in in some books as well but I just when I read that, I probably read that maybe two years into tattooing and I just had like a light bulb go off. Like, this is why we're connected to this work. This is why I feel so connected to this work, but don't want to go get tattooed by a man Man. (laughs) (laughs) or anyone who just doesn't understand the, how it's so connected to feminine creation
1: it's funny because I've seen it connected to kind of this goddess movement a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I always found that interesting and didn't, was kind of missing the connection of why it seemed necessary as part of like the embodiment of a goddess.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Interesting.
2: It's really, uh, I feel women are, are waking up to that remembrance of how art is, an expression of the sacred feminine.
1: It's beautiful. So how, when did your world become so, I mean, ritual, 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 I love it. It's beautiful. Um, were you always like that? Like, when did you start falling kind of into those rhythms?
2: I think growing up as such a sensitive, attuned child in a world that's so go, go, go fast paced. My, uh, parents certainly were not connected to the sacred or connected to ritual, but my grandmother was. My grandmother had this really slow, intentional way that she moved about her life. And she studied astrology and feng shui and tarot. And so I kind of grew up with this understanding that there's this other pathway. You can be really intentional. You can create space to connect to something that maybe you can't even explain or understand. And it wasn't until, though, she passed away when I was 18 that my world completely shifted and transformed. And I really like dove into ritual to connect to her. And that's when I realized... Mm. That I was a medium and that's when I started studying the sacred arts and when I started my healing journey.
1: What was the ritual that you began to do in order to connect with her?
2: It was really interesting because it was so simple in the beginning and I think now I'm coming back to that simplicity after, you know, years of my 20s sort of searching Um, But really, it was through music and through song and through meditation, just really being in communion with the other worlds, being in communion with my heart and allowing my heart to be the bridge to my grandmother and the bridge to my ancestors and the bridge to the natural world. And that I was living in L.A. at the time, and I remember just, uh, longing for that connection to nature and realizing that that was, that was the sacred. That was what was going to guide me to all that I was seeking, all that I was seeking to connect to, to the divine, to my purpose. And, uh, But also at such a young age, not really knowing anything, not really having a guide, not having a mentor, not having a a, like toolkit or anything, just sort of uh, allowing my heart and my grief to be
1: uh, the pathway. Were you closer to her than your parents?
2: Yeah, she raised me.
1: Oh. Yeah.
2: So we... We uh, lived in Florida and we lived in New Orleans and we lived in Mississippi,
1: wow.
2: kind of all over. <laughs> um, but growing up in New Orleans definitely uh, made a huge imprint in my life as well, because the the is spirit is definitely very alive there and the spirit of music and the spirit of joy and the spirit of the other worlds. Um, you can really feel it just walking around.
1: Where was your grandmother from? Like what was her background?
2: She was born in Ohio. And then I think moved to Florida when she was very, very young. She had nine brothers and sisters, but she was sort of the the rebel of the family. She like ran away when she was 13 and she definitely did things different. Um, but her sort of focus in life was beauty, how to create more beauty in this world. And that was such a huge influence on me as a person, as an artist, um, to really understand how profound creating beauty can be and how transformational to everyone creating beauty can be.
1: Was it hard for you to feel safe growing up?
2: Definitely. I mean, being so hypersensitive. I also had a lot of childhood trauma living um, under domestic abuse and violence. So just feeling safe in my body was always really difficult for me. I think it wasn't until maybe more recent years that I actually landed in my body. Mm. And I think that's why I was so connected to ritual because ritual to me is to really bring the divine into the body, to bring like your co-creation with spirit into the material. And so that for me was really a bridge.
1: That's so interesting. Do you feel like It's interesting because when you think about bringing in, I love the book, you know, really telling you how to bring in ritual that you can do it in very simple ways and bigger ways. Do you feel like that's part of the reason some people struggle with ritual? Yeah,
2: I think, you know, there's a lot of voices out there. We live in this age where it's just very loud. And I think that people are sort of, they have like the should-itis, you know, there's all this like The should brain is very loud, like, oh, I should do it this way. I should do it this way. But in the book, I really tried to not be so specific that, you know, you should do this or you should use these tools because it really comes down to those four pillars that I talk about in the book of belief, love, space, and intention like that. That is ritual. That is all you need. And the elements, the tools, anything that you bring in, is
1: just how you you want to do it. Yeah. Flourish. Yeah. It's, um, do you feel like habits are negative rituals? Like talk about habits that can sometimes be ones you want to break because those in some ways are rituals, but they're not always good for you. I mean, some habits are, but.
2: Yeah. I talk about this a little bit in the book, how ritual is so innate in our species. Like we long for ritual. We need ritual. It's like in our DNA and our bones, But because we have this disconnect from the natural world, from the sacred, from the divine, we kind of use that like encoded pattern of creating ritual and we create habits. And so it can be a negative thing. And and that's why I think bringing ritual back to the forefront is so important because we can use that uh, ingrained pattern with intention and create positive ritual in our lives. And, and it's not so much about, you know, creating positive ritual. It's about being the creator of your lives. Like ritual allows you to step into that role where you're not just sort of going through the motions of life or, you know, suffering in life or being the victim of life. You are now stepping into being the creator of your life. And ritual is a bridge for that.
1: I mean, that's interesting because there's definitely something to be said for also just following ritual to follow ritual. Like, right. I mean, is so the intention, I guess, as you said, which is one of your pillars is huge because you can be surrounded by ritual all the time, but if you're not intentional about it, Like for instance, people who are raised in like a very religious environment, there's ritual everywhere or certain schools, there's rituals everywhere. I mean, you know, families, sometimes families in general have a lot of rituals and talk about a little bit of that, of just being within ritual and also then being able to cipher, cipher through what are the rituals that are right for you?
2: Well, ritual really is an expression of the heart. So if your heart is not in it, that's why love is one of the four pillars. If your heart's not in it and there's no intention, then it's not ritual. You're just doing something emotion. other people are doing it. Yeah, it's right. just emotion. Um, but when we bring the the power of our intention is really the one of the most powerful things about being a human. It really connects us to our creative power. And we are, you know, setting intentions all day when you're like, you wake up and you're like, Oh, I'm going to make some coffee. Like you just set an intention, you know? Um, well, I need to call that person, like you're setting an intention, but what if you set intention intentionally when you're like, I really want to create more peace in my life, or I want to bring in mm-hmm more element of nourishment or i really want to free myself from this pattern that i know is not serving me or i want to invite in like a stronger community just setting your intention puts that into motion and then when you connect to ritual that's sort of how you you ground what you're wanting to create through your intention so the act of ritual just becomes that that bridge to really make it happen. Um, when it comes to religion, I think that this is why we're seeing—you know, this has been a long time coming—but we're really seeing the dismantling of these structures. Um, because luckily, there's a lot of younger generations who are waking up and realizing. What's the point of all this? Why are we doing this? What it what you know, and they're they're realizing that it's not serving, or it's there's not an intention behind this, or this intention is very limiting, or it's very controlling. And I think we're really at such a beautiful time where we're just freeing up so much space to connect to the sacred in our own ways or to create our lives in our own ways. Mm
1: That is really beautiful. I like what you said. I think that is really interesting because I agree with you. I talk about all the time that we're all just energy. So your thoughts are energy. So if you think of anything, like I want to make coffee or I want to create a peaceful day or joy in my life, you are setting in motion and that thought. So it's it's so interesting that thinking of ritual is the framework that then allows you to put structure, I guess, around that energy, that idea, that thought. And so that allows it to truly grow, yeah. which is really interesting that, but what an idea for people, I think if you're looking to create or manifest, I feel Mm -hmm. like that's such a great different angle of, and I know people will be like, yeah, I do new moon ceremonies, but it feels like it's beyond that. It feels like it's not just, oh, I have this desire and I'm going to do new moon ceremony. Now it's there. It feels like there has to be more ritual behind it continuously for it to really be created.
2: Yeah, it's really, you know, ritual to me is like being in the driver's seat of your life. It's not just doing it because it's beautiful or you see a lot of people doing it. I mean, I think ritual definitely, we see, yes, new moon ceremonies, manifestation rituals, um, you know, rituals not new, it's ancient. But where I am kind of coming from in the book is how can you develop your own rituals that isn't something you've seen before and how can you sort of expand your concept of ritual how can ritual become limitless how can ritual be whatever you want it to be whatever you need it to be it doesn't have to be according to the cycles of the moon it doesn't have to be according to certain days of the week it doesn't have to be with these elements or you know to have incense and crystals. And, you know, it doesn't have to be any of that. It can be so simple and it can be, I think it's so innate in us that we all have our own ways of creating ritual. And it's, you know, just about, can you be present with yourself and remember what that is for you?
1: Talk about some of the most simple rituals you have.
2: Uh, Well, my most simple rituals are just... Creating with the earth, and as an artist, my all of my work is a ritual. When I am, you know, I'm I'm making an illustration, for example, I tune in to what I'm wanting to birth through this illustration. You know, what what from my heart am I working through? What am I trying to bring forward? What do I need to express? And then working with plants as my tool and my ritual to bring that through. And so I paint with, you know, uh, paints that I make with plants and flower essences. And so bringing those in as sort of my ritual tools and allowing the act of painting, the act of creating to be like bringing that ritual into form. Mm -hmm. And that's how my tattoo work worked. That's how anything that I uh, create usually happens. Um, so to me, that's like my number one strongest uh, ritual. Um, I really like the most simplest of rituals that bring me uh, connected to nature. So the simple act of cold plunging in the ocean or you know, putting my feet in the river Setting of intention, setting a prayer, and allowing the spirits of the natural world to sort of inform me. Um, and going on a walk in nature is, is a beautiful ritual that I love. And, and as I'm going on a walk, just being really receptive to what do I hear, what do I, what do I feel, what do I see and allowing that to inform me as well.
1: Do you do you listen to anything when you walk or is it intentional one with nature? Like, do you have music on? Do you? Um,
2: it kind of depends on my mood, <laughs> but I really love the act of just intentionally like sacred listening to the earth. There's something that happens when you set that intention to listen to the earth. It's like the earth becomes louder. You mm-hmm. really hear the bird song. You really hear the the wind and the trees. You can sense the, the you can sense nature and it's so powerful.
1: You talk about like communing with the trees and stuff. How do you do it? Do you have like a ceremony or a way in? What's your way? Or when did you find that you had the ability to kind of communicate with
2: um, it's funny, my like earliest childhood memory is me talking to a rose. I think that I sort of came here in this life with this connection to plants and this connection to the natural world where talking to them doesn't feel so different than talking to you right now. Um, It definitely has deepened, I would say, since moving into the middle of a forest. Now, (laughs) Now some days I just, I feel like I am a tree and I feel like I, I embody the tree's wisdom. Um, but for me, communicating just requires space and stillness. It's just being fully present and, and setting that intention to connect, maybe leaving an offering, and then just listening and listening to what comes through. And, and it's that simple for me.
1: Um, that's really beautiful, because I know a lot of people are always like, how can I get the wisdom? How can I? do you're <laughs> just saying, just get quiet.
2: Yeah, you just get quiet and you just open your ears and listen.
1: Do you ever wake up in the morning and hear the trees?
2: Sometimes, my first thing when I wake up in the morning, I always hear the birds. Mm. Um, so we have, especially now it's springtime, the birds are really present, really talking. Um, but usually, every morning, especially if it's a nice day, I will start my day by talking to the trees or talking to the flowers or just not even talking, just listening.
1: Yeah. What is your routine? Do you, or ritual you, you wake up in the morning and what do you do?
2: I wake up in the morning and I usually either I have these big windows in my bedroom, either I'll just look out the window or I will go outside and, and sit and watch the forest. Um, and typically I will make an infusion or maybe I made it the night before of whatever plant I'm working with. Um, right now it's Ella campaign. So this morning I made Ella campaign and I went and sat in the garden and I coming from, you know, I've studied so many different healing modalities. I have done all the practices and I find for me the most spiritual, best morning practice for me is is just that is just having my plant ally and being outside to begin my day and there is you know some intention in it there's meditation there's you know connecting my feet to the earth um but I think like for everyone I think the more simple the better
1: how long are you outside for
2: Um, It kind of depends. Sometimes I wake up and I cannot wait to start creating. Um, Maybe there's a project I'm working on, like when I was writing the book, for example, every day, like I cannot wait to start writing. And so
1: I know a lot of (laughs) writers out there that want to kill you listening to that.
2: (laughs) Well, it was very, it was really the the energy of the book because I don't feel that always. It was, it was much like, this book was shooting through me like lightning. And if I wasn't putting pen to paper, then I would feel like all this pressure in my body. So that was just, uh, you know, getting myself like grounded in the morning and then just starting to work. Um, But this week, for example, I, I just got back from Traveling for a couple of weeks, and I am back in my studio for the first time in two weeks, and all I want to do is create. So this morning, I think I was outside for maybe 30 minutes, and that was how I started my day.
1: So is 30 for you short, long, or average?
2: Um, probably average. It kind of depends. If it's like a really beautiful day, then maybe I'll garden for a couple of hours before I go into the studio
1: where does your partner fit into this? Like, does he wake up at the same time? Do you guys have different schedules? Like, how does that work? Because I know for some people, that's what gets in the way of sometimes creating like a really good rhythm for themselves, is all of a sudden, they feel like they're, you know, a little bit tied to other people's worlds too.
2: Totally. Um, Well, we're both artists, and we both have that sort of like, uh, mad artists kind of mind sometimes where we just want to be like so immersed in our work and something that really has worked for us is just having separate bedrooms so during the work week we I talk about also,
1: this all the time by the way I think
2: it's amazing I I wish that we did it a lot sooner but we'll you know sleep in separate bedrooms for maybe four or five days a week and then usually like spend the weekend in the same room and that just works really well for us. Cause he wakes up really early. I don't wake up that early. He wakes up like with the sun. I'm, I'm a slow morning kind of person. Um, and he goes like right into his work. Sometimes he'll do like yoga or meditation, but he's like a up and go kind of person. And like I said, I'm really slow. And so that would always be really conflicting because I would feel so much pressure to move faster in the morning. Yeah. And that would really throw me off because I'd start my day maybe feeling frustrated or feeling really tired because I didn't like go slow in the morning, allow myself to slowly rise. So we kind of
1: something it's, I talk about this all the time because it's, um, you know, and I say this on here too, there's People get so up in arms about the idea of people sleeping in separate bedrooms because of just traditionally what, and but I mean, we all know tradition made shit, but and <clears throat> but my point, and you answered it exactly into that point, which is it is very hard sometimes to take care of yourself if you're trying to fit it into another way of being. Yeah. It just is like you even said, and you embody ritual and you are thrown off your day because you couldn't do the ritual the way you need to do ritual.
2: Yeah, I think it's really hard for women, especially. I think that we, you know, we're natural nurturers. We naturally very easily attune to the other. Um, I think it depends on a lot of factors, you know, how sensitive you are. But in order for me to be really strong in my individuality and to be really clear as a vessel for creation, I got to have my space. So we have, I have my studio out here down the hill from the house in the forest. He has the garage, which he does his woodworking and his art. So we have, we're really separate and then we come together. You know, we make dinner together. We spend evenings together and then we have like our evening
1: rituals apart. I get it. Mm-hmm. So what's your evening ritual?
2: usually it's a bath ritual
1: i love baths
2: i love taking a bath every single night it helps to just wind me down and clear because if i'm like really immersed in a project my mind my energy is moving really quickly through my body i'm having a lot of downloads and thinking really fast i'm working you know feverishly and so that helps me, you know, I'll light candles, I'll be really intentional with what I put into the bath, and then just listening to mantra, um, or doing a meditation, or listening to music, Help, however I'm feeling, but allowing water to be a clearing conduit.
1: And you do this almost every night? Every night, yeah.
2: And if I don't take a bath, then I love a body oiling ritual to just ground me back into my body, nourish my nervous system, and allow me to uh, sleep deeply.
1: And so then do you go to sleep after this or?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes I'll write. I have always been a really night owl type person. I have a lot of downloads at night and I usually fall asleep uh, after writing. Um, I'm trying to be a little bit better at that, but also trying to not go against my nature. If I'm a night owl, then that's just the way I'm designed. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's incredible. So talk a little bit about, you know, you mentioned this in the book, like your divine team.
2: Yeah. My spirit team. Mm -hmm. Um, The plants are number one, the flowers and the plants. I don't go a day without connecting to... The spirits of the natural world. I feel like flowers are my ancestors more than my actual ancestors sometimes. Um, but I am also really connected to my ancestors. I dream with them most nights, especially my grandmother, um, especially all of my female ancestors. I really mm. feel them and I feel that my work is for them. I also feel like my work is for the earth. So mm very much connected to, uh, the earth,
1: And talk about how other people can realize who their spirit team is.
2: I think it comes down to knowing yourself, you know, who, who do you see within you? Because that is spirit working through you. You know, um, we all have ancestors. I think we all have beings of the natural world that are connected to us. I think, especially if you are an artist or, you know, an alchemist in some way, the earth is really working for you. The goddess is really working for you. Um, I think a really beautiful way to start though is connecting to your ancestors. I think they can help give you a sense of purpose. We have trillions of ancestors. So, um, you know, you can just start with your most, recently deceased ancestor um that you feel connected to and even if you don't feel connected to them um you can begin to open that with you know pictures of them or foods that they ate or you know their country of origin just connecting to them in these like really simple ways and then seeing what shifts within you and i think that there's sometimes this uh idea that in order to communicate with spirit or to have spirit guides we need to see them or we need to hear them but I think for most people it's more of a felt thing you know can you feel them can you feel your ancestors when you listen to you know a song from their country of origin or when you eat like a traditional food you know it's that is such a powerful connection it doesn't need to be like a mystical experience. It can be a really simple embodied one.
1: I think that's nice to say, because I do think people struggle feeling like, well, I don't see people's co- like colors or So therefore I don't have that healing ability or the ability at all yeah. versus realizing, well, you can, like you just said, you can feel it and d- dive into that. That's you know an equally beautiful way of quote unquote seeing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. For me, this really shifted more in recent years where I, from pretty much most of my twenties, lived more in the spirit world than the human world. I was sometimes couldn't sleep at night because would, there would there be, you know, beings talking to me or I would be having like crazy dreams or, you know it would just be like very loud <laughs> um, to exist. And I shifted my focus towards embodiment and realized how much easier it was to connect to spirit, not just easier to do, but easier on my system to focus more on my inner senses, my sensory connection, um, and not needing to go outside myself, not needing to like go into this like really wild meditative state or, you know, needing to do all these things and have all these tools and, you know, the, the rattle and the drum and the, you know, all all of the, the things that we see and it can be so much more simple and effortless. And I think that that's innate for everyone
1: for it to be like that. What did you find when you did it? Like for you, what did it feel like? What was, what was embodiment for you?
2: Peace and ease and, allowing, especially like connecting to nature spirits, like allowing the nature spirits to communicate through my nature.
1: And like, what does that mean?
2: That means, you know, inviting them in through my sen- my senses, and also seeing the natural world reflected in my cycles of creation. I think, you know, as women, we have this, powerful connection to nature because of our natural rhythms and so allowing spirit to be embodied through me through that through understanding my nature understanding my rhythm understanding the way that I create the way that I need to go within sometimes and the way that I want to be really expressive the way that I want to move in a really you know, curving cyclical way. All of that is a reflection of nature.
1: Do you think you're going to have a t- hard time when you move back to a city? Do you know where you want to move back to?
2: Um, I don't know. So I was just in cities for two and a half weeks. I went to San Diego and LA and I was in Oakland for a day as well. And it was definitely a little jarring for my nervous system, but that's also why I have the practices that I do. We, we're thinking of moving to Southern California, maybe like uh North San Diego area. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be like smack dab in the city. Like that's definitely off our list. Um, and we're just kind of, we don't really know. We don't really know where we're going to move, but waiting for the land to call us. I do think that it will be like city adjacent, but um, something in between, you know, like LA and, and where I live now, Mendocino. Right. Which is a really big gap, but um, I don't think it will be hard because I've definitely, moving to the forest has taught me so much about staying anchored in myself. Um, whereas I think before, I lived here. It could be really easy for me to get like swept up in other people, or swept up in, you know, what other people were doing, or the scene, or you know, needing to focus on other people. Or I feel just a lot more centered in myself from being in this deep communion with, with these ancient elders um, for almost two years now. That I feel very rooted. And that I can be, you can kind of plant me anywhere and I'll still be
1: rooted. I love that. That's so nice. And it's just a good reminder to everyone else when you can figure out the rituals and the practice for yourself, mm-hmm. it, the effects, it, it, it keeps going. Like it just helps you, like you said, root no matter where you are.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, the most powerful thing that we can do in our self-healing self-care practices is just to come home to ourselves. Mm. Come home to what we love, what we love to do, what we're what's natural for us. You know, it's not natural for me to sit in meditation for two hours. It's I, I'll get stir crazy because I'll want to create something. Like I need to be in motion. And I think know, honoring our nature is so important for us to just live in alignment. When we're at home in ourselves and we're honoring our nature, we become a magnet for our desires. We become a magnet for the support we need to birth our desires. We become just really in alignment with why we're here, the nature of our souls.
1: You know, the hummingbird was so perfect for you because it's stillness within movement. Yeah. So it's very much like what you embody. It's like the energy, the creation, but yet like those flapping of the wings, but the ability to still kind of remain still. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I wanted to talk about our memberships. So if you're listening to this, no matter where you are in the world, you can now be a part of our community for $49.99. That's it. You can take class every single day. As much as you want, you can take classes 10 times a day if you'd like. Between our live schedule and on our on-demand library, you will have unlimited access. What's beautiful about this now is make it work for you. Whatever you respond to, however you are growing, you will have the ability to set your own schedule. And again, like I said, make it work for you. So join us. Become a denizen, $49.99. We can't wait to see you in class. Thank you for this conversation. I think it's so beautiful and so helpful. And I feel like you made ritual so palpable, just the idea that it is everywhere um, Mm -hmm. for everyone, no matter where you are and what you're doing and what you have and don't have. I think that is very empowering and a Mm -hmm. nice reminder that you don't, like you said, you don't need the rattles, you don't need the drums, you don't need the crystals, um, you don't need, any of it. You just need you. Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: Thank you, Ashley. This was beautiful. I really appreciate it. Thank
2: you for having me.
1: Of course. Um, And I can't wait to see where you land.
2: Mm, Thank you.
1: Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people. Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielek, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Dentalks Podcast, and join us there.